0: Good evening. It's good to be together tonight. appreciate this time we've been able to spend in worship. appreciate Seth leading us in that song. I said last week that I don't think we've ever sang that song before. Well, we fixed that tonight. One of my favorite songs, how true that song is, how we stand in need of Jesus and everything that he offers to us. I don't know if I want to commend him, though, for remembering that, because I mentioned that song in like the first three minutes of the sermon. I mean, you know, if, if if you're listening for the first three minutes, then I guess I'll give you props on that. Um, but it's good to be together tonight. Several of us have asked, several of you have asked me and Leslie about moving. We actually moved all of our stuff yesterday to the new house. I just wanted you to know that you're not going to be able to get rid of me now because we're not moving again. Uh, so I hope that, hope that you're okay with that. That wasn't our favorite process in the world. But... Today's made up for that. I hope that you've been encouraged today. I hope that today has been a good day for you where we've been able to be pumped up, where we've been able to be rejuvenated, to go out in this week and live for our Lord Jesus. Let's go to Mark the 6th chapter. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to spend some time in Mark chapter 6 tonight. Appreciate Jacob reading verses 45 through 46. That's where we're going to be studying. You notice this is part 1 not just tonight, but also the next time when we come together on a Sunday night. We're going to spend our time in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56, as we continue to work our way through the gospel of Mark, considering our Savior, considering how great He is. I read a story in the Grand Rapids Press about a man who had a Toyota Prius. Everywhere he went, He talked about the great gas mileage that he was able to get. I don't know if you know this or not, but a Toyota Prius gets about 60 miles per gallon. And everybody in his life knew that. His friends knew it, his family knew it, everybody at work knew it, random strangers that he would meet at the grocery store knew about it. Everywhere he went, he talked about how good his gas mileage was in his Toyota Prius. Well, one day his friends got tired of it. They decided that they were going to play a little bit of a joke on him when he would park the car at work, one of the friends would come by, they'd take turns each day and put a couple gallons of gas into the car. It wasn't soon, maybe a month or two, until he was talking about he was now getting 90 miles per gallon in gas and was just so amazed by that, the friends enjoyed watching him, trying to convince people that he was actually getting 90 miles per gallon. They enjoyed it even more when they stopped filling it up with gas. Because all of a sudden it went from 90 miles per gallon back down to 60 miles per gallon. He thought that something was wrong with it and actually took it to a mechanic to get it worked on. Wondering why his gas mileage dropped off all of a sudden. You know somebody who likes to brag? As people, we are guilty of bragging sometimes, aren't we? We brag about our relationships, maybe family relationships. I know that grandparents like to talk about their grandchildren. Right, We brag about possessions. We brag about our favorite sports teams whenever they win. Usually we're pretty quiet whenever they lose. When we go over to Jeremiah, the ninth chapter, verses 23 and 24, we find something that we should brag about all the time. Wherever we go, regardless of who we come into contact with, notice what God says through the prophet Jeremiah, which Paul quotes not only in 1 Corinthians one thirty-one, but also 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 17. He says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. What is the Lord saying to us there? What is the Lord communicating first to Israel and then I think, by application to us, he's talking about bragging. He's talking about boasting. And he tells us as human beings, we shouldn't boast in our wisdom, how smart we are. We shouldn't boast in our might, how strong we are. We shouldn't boast in our riches, how much money we have in the bank. God says if we're gonna boast in something, then we should boast about Him. If we're gonna brag about something, then we should brag about Him. We should brag about how great He is, the difference that He has made in our lives. If a man boasts, he is to boast in the Lord, to brag in the fact, not to say that I'm better than you are, but I want to show you how great God is, that I know Him. I understand Him as far as He's revealed Himself. I have received the privilege and the blessing of being able to build a relationship With him In Jeremiah 9, we are called to boast in the Lord, to brag on Him. People around us on a daily basis should know how we feel about our Savior. People around us on a daily basis should know how in love we are with our Lord, not just by how we talk, but by how we live. And that's what I want us to do, not only tonight, but also the next Sunday night whenever we come together. I want us to brag on Jesus. If we're going to boast, then let's boast in the Lord. And that's what I want us to do over the next couple of weeks. To think about how great Jesus is and to consider the indescribable things that He has done in our lives. I think that Mark paints a beautiful picture of Jesus in Mark chapter 6 and I hope that we'll be able to be encouraged by this. Number one, we serve a Savior who prays. According to Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 47. Now remember what we talked about last week. As we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark section by section. Last week we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. How Jesus fed more than 5,000 people with only 5 loaves and 2 fish. All of them ate and were satisfied. Verse 45 tells us what happens after the fact. Verse 45 says that Jesus broke up the party. He made His disciples get into a boat and they began to sail across the Sea of Galilee. The text says to Bethsaida. And when He puts His disciples into a boat and they began sailing several miles across the Sea of Galilee, He dismissed the crowds. He sent them back home. Why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus send His disciples away and then subsequently send the crowd away? I think at least a part of the answer is found here in John 6 and verse 15. John's account of the feeding of the 5,000. John says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take Him by force to make Him king, Jesus again withdrew to the mountain by Himself. They thought that Jesus could be their king. They thought Jesus could be the one to supply bread for them every single day. I mean, if He can take five loaves and two fish and feed more than 5,000 people with it, well, if He could do that every day, we would never worry about where another meal was coming from. So they tried to take him by force and make him their king. Of course, what they didn't recognize is that Jesus did not come to earth to be an earthly king. Jesus did not come to earth to build a physical kingdom. In fact, in John 18 and verse 36, Jesus himself said, My kingdom is not of this world. So because of the crowd, they wanted to take Jesus by force and make him their king. He sends the disciples away on a boat. He sends the crowd away. Now Jesus is by himself. What does he do? Well, if you have your Bible open, look in Mark chapter 6 and verse 46. The Bible says, after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain. And what was the purpose? He went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus climbs up on the mountain, a place where he's going to be completely isolated. A place where he's going to be by himself. He goes up on that mountain for one purpose and one purpose alone. It wasn't just to get away from the crowds. It wasn't just to be by himself. Jesus goes on top of this mountain so that he can spend time talking to God. So that he can spend time in prayer. Prayer was important to Jesus. Prayer was significant to Jesus. It's not the first time we've seen him do this in the Gospel of Mark. It's not the last time that we're going to see him do this in the Gospel of Mark, where he withdraws, he's completely by himself, and in this context, he spends the majority of the night talking to God in prayer. We serve a Savior who prays. And I think there are a couple of different things that we can learn from that. First, when we go to Hebrews 7 and verse 25, we serve a Savior who has not stopped praying. The Bible says, the Hebrew writer says, consequently, Jesus, in context, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Can you see what this verse is teaching us? It's talking about Jesus as our faithful high priest. He's sitting exalted at the right hand of God. Right now, Jesus is sitting right next to God. Do you know what he's talking to God about? He's sitting right next to God. Do you know what they're talking about? They're talking about us. They're talking about you and me. They're talking about the difficulties that we go through. They're talking about the lives that we're living. They're talking about the temptations that we have been facing. Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. He doesn't take any time off. Jesus is sitting right next to the Father, and He's talking to the Father about you and about me about our struggles, about our lives, about the situations that we find ourselves in. We serve a Savior who hasn't stopped praying. But then I think we can also see a pretty powerful example in Mark 6 in verse 46, can't we? First John 2 in verse 6, John says, whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. What is John saying there? If you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. If you're going to make the claim that you are in Jesus and that you have a relationship with Jesus, it's time to live like He lived. It's time to follow His example. Of course, that applies in every area of our lives. It especially applies in this area of our lives. How often do we spend time with God in prayer? Is prayer important to us? Is prayer significant to us? Jesus didn't go a day without praying when we look at his life in the four gospels. Do we go days without praying? Prayer was very significant to Jesus. And if we're going to follow in his footsteps, if we're going to follow in his example, prayer should also be significant. It should also be important to us. Number one, we serve a Savior who prays, number two, we serve a Savior who sees. In Mark chapter 6, in verse number 48. Remember what we said about the disciples back in verse 45. We said that Jesus made His disciples get into a boat, and now they're sailing across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, in verse 48, we find that as they were sailing across the Sea of Galilee, it wasn't easy for them. They actually found themselves in a great struggle. The Bible says there that the wind was against them. The disciples are in their fishing boat. Okay, remember, this boat didn't have a motor on it. So anywhere they go, whenever they take this boat across the Sea of Galilee, they're having to paddle for themselves. If the wind is against you, that's going to make it hard. And then add on top of that, when the wind gets strong on top of the water, what happens to the waves? They become pretty turbulent, don't they? Then add on top of that, verse 48 says that this was the fourth watch of the night, which would be anywhere from 3 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the morning, The wind is strong. They're trying to row as hard as they can. They're putting everything they have into it and they're not getting anywhere. They're being tossed back and forth by the waves of the sea. And it is completely dark outside more than likely. But do you see what the Bible says in Mark 6 and verse 48? The disciples are struggling. This is something that's hard for them. But the Bible says Jesus saw. He saw that they were making headway painfully here the disciples are struggling they're doing what Jesus told them to do they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee but it was a battle for them rowing as hard as they could but they weren't getting anywhere even though Jesus was standing on the land and they were at this time in the middle of the sea Jesus saw them Jesus didn't turn a blind eye to their struggles Jesus wasn't ignorant of the difficulty that they were going through as they were sailing across the Sea of Galilee Jesus saw their difficulty, and we're going to see what He does about it in just a moment. We serve a Savior who sees. That's pretty amazing to think about, isn't it? Because sometimes we might find ourselves in similar situations to Jesus' disciples, where we're trying to do what Jesus tells us to do. We're doing the best that we can to be obedient to Him, but it's hard. The wind is pushing back against us. We're putting all of our strength into rowing, but we're not getting anywhere. We're not moving forward. It doesn't look like things are are improving. It doesn't look like things are getting better. And then the darkness begins to surround us and we're being tossed back and forth by the different things that are taking place in our lives. Isn't it comforting to know that Jesus sees that? Maybe sometimes we're tempted to think that nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows what I'm dealing with. Nobody sees the stress and the anxiety and the difficulty that lives inside of my heart every single day. Jesus does. Jesus knows. Jesus sees. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28 and verse 18, takes the time to look at us, to see our lives, to see us when we struggle, to see us when we're going through difficulty. It's like what the psalmist says in Psalm 33 and verse 18. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. That's a continual thing. It's not that Jesus checks up on us every once in a while and then takes His attention somewhere else. No, the eye of the Lord is constantly on those who fear Him. On those who hope in His steadfast love. I think we need to come to the same realization that Hagar came to in Genesis 16 and verse 13. She said, you are a God of seeing. And truly, Jesus is a God of seeing. We serve a Savior who sees our difficulties. He sees our hardships. He sees our struggles. But then if we keep going, we don't serve a Savior who just sees what we're going through and then does nothing about it. No, also in verse 48, we serve a Savior who draws near to us. Again, imagine the disciples' situation. They're struggling. They're paddling as hard as they can. They're not getting anywhere because the wind is blowing against them. The waves are strong. It's dark outside. And in verse number 48, the Bible says about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them, walking on top of the sea. You imagine what this would look like if this was you and me seeing the disciples struggle. We would have no way to get there. They're in the middle of the sea. They can't go anywhere. They can't go forward. If I don't have a boat to get there, then I'm not going to be able to help them at all. But with Jesus, it's not that way. The disciples are in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and imagine what Jesus does. He goes to the shoreline. He goes to the place where the, the dry land meets the water. He takes a step into the water but his foot doesn't sink down like ours would he goes to step into the water and he steps firmly on top of it like it's concrete or asphalt and then he takes another step and as the wind is blowing and it's dark and the waves are are circling around him he takes another step and step after step he draws nearer and nearer he draws closer and closer to his disciples he doesn't just look at their difficulty, and then say, there's, there's nothing I can do about it. No, Jesus is one who draws near. Jesus is one who comes close. And the same thing is true with us. We serve a Savior who sees, and that's an amazing thing, the one who is God, who has always been God, who is exalted at the right hand of God, takes the time to see what I'm going through. But perhaps even greater than that is the fact that Jesus draws near to us. Whenever He sees us struggling. Jesus draws near to us whenever He sees us going through difficulty in life. It's important because sometimes we feel like we're alone. It's the worst feeling in the world, isn't it? To feel like nobody's there. I'm going through this difficulty and there's nobody here to help me. There's, there's nobody here to save me in the midst of this difficulty. We're, we're tempted to think nobody can reach me in the midst of this. Let me ask you, if Jesus can reach His disciples in this circumstance, do you think that He can reach you? If Jesus can walk on top of the water to the middle of the Sea of Galilee at 3 o'clock in the morning when the waves are crashing around Him and the wind is blowing against Him, if He can walk to His disciples on top of the water and reach them in the midst of their struggle, do you think that He can reach us in the midst of our struggle? I have no doubt about it. Again, going to the Psalms, Psalms 34 and verse 18, the Bible says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. We serve a savior who prays for us. We serve a savior who sees us. We serve a savior who draws near to us. But then the last idea I want us to consider this evening is that we serve a savior who reassures us. In verses 49 and 50. Again, let me take you back to the disciples. They're sailing across the Sea of Galilee. It's dark. The wind is blowing against them. They're not getting anywhere despite all the strength that they're putting into it. The waves are tossing their boat back and forth. They're in this small wooden fishing boat. And in verse 49, all of a sudden they see a a figure of a man walking towards them on top of the water. Maybe it was the moonlight reflecting off of the water where they saw just this shadow of an individual walking to them on top of the water. How would you feel about that? When you're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and all this is going on, and then you look back and there's a man walking towards you on top of the water, I think rightfully so. The disciples were afraid. The disciples were terrified. The text says that they cried out in fear and they thought they were seeing a ghost. Now, this is not the Bible endorsing the fact that ghosts are walking around on earth. The disciples are are not endorsing that idea. That's the only way they can make it make sense in their mind. Especially whenever we're scared, our minds go to some pretty wild places. Our imaginations start to run wild. And I think that's exactly what the disciples are experiencing here in Mark 6... In verse number 49, on top of their struggle, on top of their difficulty, now they're scared to death because there's this figure walking towards them and it looks like he's just going to keep walking. It looks like he's going to pass by them. But I love the beginning there of verse 50, that they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately... As soon as fear entered into their hearts, as soon as they cried out in fear, saying, it's a ghost, immediately Jesus spoke to them and He gave them two commands to reassure them. The first command is a positive one. The ESV says, take heart. Be of good cheer. Be strong. Be courageous. The second command is a negative one. Don't be afraid. There's no reason to be fearful. Eliminate this terror that is existing in your heart. Well, how are the disciples able to do that? Again, you imagine their situation. We won't rehash all those details again. But you imagine their situation. How could they not be afraid? How are they supposed to be, take heart and be courageous and be strong in the midst of a situation like that? Well, look between the two commands. In verse number 50, there's three words that make all the difference in the world. Jesus says, it is I. He speaks to his disciples immediately. As soon as they're afraid, I know you've been struggling. I know that this has been difficult for you. But you can take heart. You can be of good cheer. You can be strong. Listen, you don't have to be afraid. This fear doesn't have to exist in your heart and in your mind any longer. Because I'm here. It's me. And where Jesus is, strength is available. Where Jesus is, fear is able to be cast out. Jesus is wanting to reassure them, you don't have to be afraid in these circumstances because it's me. I'm the one who is here with you. We serve a Savior who reassures us. Again, that's important. I think all of these points are significant, but this one is important because sometimes we're not sure. Sometimes we're not sure about the next step to take or the next decision to make. Sometimes we're not sure about things that are going on in our lives that we have absolutely no control over. Jesus wants to reassure you In those circumstances. Jesus wants you to know that if you feel like your life is a little bit shaky right now, you don't have to be afraid. You can be strong. You can take heart. You can be of good cheer and of good courage. And it's not because Jesus is promising a pain-free existence. It's not because Jesus is promising to immediately take the trials away from our lives. Oh, it's something a lot better than that. Jesus reassures us he not only suggests to us he commands us that we are to take heart and to not be afraid because it's him because he's the one who is present with us he's the one who's going to walk alongside of us can can you hear Jesus speaking in this text look I know you've been struggling recently and I know that there's been a lot of things going on in your life and your life has felt really shaky. You don't feel like you're standing on a firm foundation. Listen, I want you to know that you don't have to be afraid. Jesus says, I want you to know that you can be strong in these circumstances not because you're strong, but because it's me. It is I. Those three words make a world of difference. Jesus reassures us in the midst of the difficulties of life with the promise Of his presence, that he's going to be the one who walks beside us. He's going to be the one who is with us. The promise that we so oftentimes quote, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, you take a look at this list. We're not finished with this section of scripture. We're going to come back to this the next time that we study together on a Sunday night. But you take a look at this list and you take a look at this section of scripture. Isn't this a Savior that you would want to brag about? Isn't this the kind of Savior that you would want to show other people? A Savior who prays, a Savior who sees, a Savior who draws near, a Savior who reassures us in the midst of the storms and trials of life. Isn't that the kind of Savior that you would want to submit your life to? If you need to do that tonight, we'd love to help you. As together we stand in sing.